of what's going on here. First point, first purpose would be that Paul was thanking the believers in Philippi for uh, the gifts they had given Paul. Uh, if, you look, if you read throughout the book, you will see that uh, the Philippian believers actually had given to Paul in a monetary way a couple of times. They had sent some servants to him. Um, in, in the book, we actually see one reference of them sending uh, a servant to help Paul uh, and to bring him gifts. Uh, so they were very supportive of Paul, uh, very, very supportive. It's actually a very beautiful picture of a church supporting uh, a missionary or a fellow servant of Christ. If we look at a second purpose of the book, we see that Paul addressed some things that possibly were going to happen in the Philippian church, but had already begun to happen. We see throughout uh, a lot of the epistles that Paul always addressed some kind of false doctrine or false prophet that was trying to come into the church and mess things up, uh, cause confusion. Um, he always wanted to hit that straight on so that the believers in the church would know how to uh, take it and address it. So we see that two of the things that the Philippian church, and this is really important that we understand this when we walk through this passage this morning, two of the things they really struggled with is, one, there was division. Um, if you look at some of, if we went and looked at the uh, church of Ephesus, that was something they struggled with too, was division in the church. And I think it's something that a lot of churches today struggle with also. Uh, we see division, we don't see much unity sometimes. And for us to, to be effective, we need to be unified. And in a minute we'll see what unifies us as a church. But not only this, like already said, we see false teaching always trying to attack the church. We see it in today's church. We see all across our nation of teachings in the church that are not of God's word. We see God's word uh, twisted up. We see God's word uh, many times things preached from the pulpit that are very contradictory to what God's word says. Um, so this is something that Paul wanted to address with the, with the believers here in Philippi. Paul almost saw it as, since you've helped me monetarily, since you've helped me, since you've prayed for me, since you've kept me in your prayers, now I'm going to help you. I'm going to give, give you some instruction to carry on as a church. So if we looked at a theme, there's a bunch of different things we could pull out of the book of Philippians. But if we look for a theme in the, whole, in the book as a whole, we would see just living the Christian life. The cool thing about the book of Philippians is that we see a real personal example in Paul's life. We see him get a little more personal in this book than we do in a lot of other books. Um, Paul's always straightforward. He's always uh, uh, very clear in what he's trying to convey. But we actually see an example in his own life right here in chapter 1. And that's the reason I think it's super important that we read through uh, the whole chapter this morning because it shows us uh, where Paul's coming from, why he's conveying what he is. So let's read verses 1 through 30. And then we'll jump into the last four verses. I'll start in verse 1. And we'll kind of just, we won't dissect the whole uh, 30 verse or 1 through 26, but we will just kind of stop and look at some things for a couple of seconds before we move on. Verse 1, uh, we see Paul greeting here. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we get to verse 3. We're going to kind of transition into a moment of prayer and remembrance. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident 
of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hold on to that because that's, that's a big verse right there for the rest of the chapter. 7 says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment. So we're going to go ahead and notice right here that Paul's in prison. He's writing this from prison. He says, And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. So we find some commonality here. We find something that Paul has in common with the believers in Philippi. And what is that, what is that thing they have in common? It's their identity in Christ. Paul is relating to them in that. Uh, and I think that's super important we understand that this morning, that we as a church, what do we have in common when we come together? Our identity in Christ is what we have in common. That's why we are the church. That's, he's the head, we are the body, we are following him. That's why we are here. But you can also look at the rest of the world, believers all across the world, what do we have in common with them? Our identity in Christ. We can pray for those other people. And that's, that's kind of where Paul and, and this church were at. They were in two separate locations, but Paul's saying, look, I identify with you because of our identity in, in Jesus Christ. So we move on to verse 8. It says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So what do we know Paul's circumstances are that he's in prison. He's in prison. That's where he's at. Um, and any time that I think about Paul being in prison and writing these letters, I always think about what would I have done? Where, where would I be at at this point? Um, and I can go ahead and tell you where I would be at. I'd probably be over in the corner crying. Um, I would have self-pity. Um, I would probably not have been carrying on the work of the Lord, but we're going to see why Paul was able to carry on the work of the Lord. Great testimony uh, Paul has here through these uh, 26 uh, verses. So we see that the greater progress of the gospel has actually happened because of the circumstance that Paul's in. We see that at the end of uh, verse 12. We get into verse 13. It says, So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So this man has ended up being imprisoned for his faith, for sharing the gospel, and he doesn't just go and sit in prison. He doesn't just go and, and, and sulk over in the corner. The people in the prison know why he's there. And I just have to believe that he's right. If he's writing this book from prison, he's probably more than likely, us knowing Paul throughout his epistles, he's sharing, he's sharing the gospel in prison. Uh, people are, 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 are know why he's there. People are coming to the Lord because of what Paul is doing while he's in prison. 13 says, So that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That is awesome. People on the outside of the prison where Paul's at, have become encouraged, have become emboldened because of how Paul is, is carrying on his ministry even though he's in prison. 14 says, And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So Paul's saying, 
I know that some are out there preaching for the right reason. Uh, they're believers trying to do the right thing. They're trying to, they see me as an example. I, me being in prison and, and continuing in my ministry, it's emboldened them, it's given them courage, and they're continuing the work while I'm here inside a prison cell. But there are some that are doing what they're doing because they want it to become worse on Paul in prison. But let's see what Paul's reaction is to this. He says that the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So we see that Paul, even though there's people outside of the prison that are proclaiming the gospel, only so that it becomes worse on Paul in prison. I mean, if that had been me, I'd probably have been getting pretty ticked off in prison. I'd have been like, God, I'd have been right there in the corner praying, God, just strike them down. You know, I'm, I'm getting whipped more because of these guys out here sharing the gospel. But what does Paul say? Paul says, I know that their motives aren't pure, but I'm just rejoicing that they're, that they're even out there proclaiming the gospel. He just, Paul just wants to, he just has a heart to see the gospel proclaimed. Um, he doesn't care. He, now, he would rather their motives be good, but he's just rejoicing. He's like, man, the gospel's being furthered. That's all I could ask for. He's not necessarily worried about himself. He's, he just wants the gospel proclaimed. We jump into verse 19. It says, For I know that this, this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all, all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So we see a contrast here. We see something going on that Paul uh, says uh, right here at the end of verse 20. He says, whether by life or by death. Paul realizes that I'm in prison for the proclamation of the gospel. I may not get out of here. I may die. He realizes that. This is him admitting, hey, I may die while in prison for proclaiming the gospel. But he goes on in verse 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what did... What did Paul realize here? Paul realized that if I continue to live, whether in prison or outside of prison, I'm going to continue my ministry for the Lord. Um, I'm going to continue in my relationship with the Lord. Why? Because Christ loves me, and I'm going to do everything that I can to give back to Him. But he also realized that if I die in this prison, or if I'm martyred in some way for the faith, I will walk into heaven and get to see my beautiful Savior. That's what Paul understood. Paul knew that one way or the other, it was for Christ and it was always going to be about Christ. We jump into verse 22 and it says, But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do, and I do not know which to choose. So Paul's at a dilemma. He's like, I don't know which one I necessarily, which one I necessarily want to go with. Um, you know, if I continue to live, if I continue to minister then I know God's going to use me to see others saved. We jump into verse uh, 23. It says, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. So the question arises this morning, do you yearn for Christ? Do you yearn to be with Christ? Y yes, we are, we are all uh, you know, physically walking this earth, but I think as Christians today, we should yearn to be with Christ. That's where Paul was at. Paul realized that, you know, I would like, he probably would like to live and carry on his ministry for Christ. But 
he also yearned to be with Christ. He yearned. And, and is anybody in here tired of sin? I mean, temptation, uh, the, the things that come in this life, in this world, uh, heartbreak. Paul, Paul felt those things. He, I mean, he was, the man was in prison. And he knew that if he stayed, that God would continue to use him. But he knew that if, he, if God took him out um, and that he was killed for his faith, that he would get to see the face of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we should all yearn for today. We jump into 24. It says, Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So we see Paul realizing God's will for his life. 26 says, So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So let's read 27 through 30, and then we'll just kind of jump into those. I won't be very long and drawn out in those, but let's, we're just going to examine those for the uh, next couple of minutes. It says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, just thanking you for this passage here in Philippians, Lord. Uh, when Paul wrote this, he gave us an example, uh, Lord, of, of how we need to live out the Christian life, uh, how we uh, deal with certain things that come up in the Christian walk. Uh, but, Lord, uh, we can also look to you. Lord, you humbled yourself and you came and, and you died on a rugged cross, Lord, and uh, was in the grave for three days and rose again. Lord, um, you didn't have to do that, Lord, but it, it showed love, Lord. It showed humility. Lord, um, Lord, you suffered. And, Lord, as we look at this passage today, uh, we can see that in the believer's life, sometimes there's going to come suffering. Sometimes there's going to come persecution and, and, uh, and heartbreak, Lord. Um, as Christians, we need to know how to deal with those things, Lord, to to continue to abide in you, to, to continue to walk in you, Lord. Uh, we're going to see why Paul was able to do these things, Lord. Um, he was a mere man, just like, like we are today. Lord, but he trusted in you. Lord, I pray that we as believers today could do the same thing. Lord, I love you. Put this in your name. Amen. So let's jump back into verse 27. We see, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So if we look at the first part of that verse, it says, only conduct yourselves. If you look in some other translations, that actually uh, is translated as, uh, if you read it back through, it would say, only live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, what you need to understand about the people of Philippi is that they were very proud of who they were, proud of where they had came from. Um, does that mean that there weren't things going on in the city or in the colony that uh, were not of God? By no means. But... They were proud of who they were. I think we can kind of relate to them this morning um, as Americans. Um, I know I can. I'm proud to be an American. Um, I am very proud of where I'm from. Not always proud of what goes on in America, but I am very proud to be an American. So we can relate to the Philippians in, in, in knowing what it's like to be a citizen and to be 
patriotic, almost uh, proud of where we come from. If you go and you study this out, you'll see that Paul more than likely put this in the letter because he, he understood that they would enjoy reading this um, because he knew it would uh, lead to their, uh, kind of speak to their national, nationalist views. So as we see live as citizens uh, in this per, first verse right here, first part right here in verse 27, uh, we, we realize that it kind of, if you break it down, you see only conduct yourselves. But if you break it down to only live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, Paul was saying, look, I know that you live as citizens in Philippi. And I think this was a huge deal for them because there were ungodly things going on, just as there are ungodly things going on in our nation today. Um, but Paul was saying, look, live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this morning, and sometimes this ain't the most popular thing, but this morning I want you to understand, because I've talked to some people um, that thinks that uh, country and, uh, and, and hear me out this morning, constitution come over God. That is not how it works. God comes before a country. Uh, it, it is okay to be allegiant to a country, to be loyal to a country, but our first loyalty is to God himself um, and to Christ uh, leading our lives. That is super important that we understand that. So Paul says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So point one, we see citizenship. We see that Paul is saying, look, I understand where you're at, where you're from, but while being citizens in Philippi, live a life that's worthy of the calling of the gospel. Live a life for Christ so that other citizens can see you and be drawn to the gospel. So not only do we see that, we see, uh, if we, even if we looked at it in conducting yourselves, uh, if you read that back through and it says only conduct yourselves, whether, whether we looked at it from a citizen's uh, viewpoint or not, no matter where you're at, we ought to be living a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, if we drop down and we looked uh, even more at this verse, because there's something else that we could see here, and that's that our citizenship as believers, as the church today, we may be physical citizens of America, but our citizenship lies in heaven. Um, and if we don't, if you don't ever look at that and realize that, then you need to check yourself because that's where our true citizenship is at. That should push us to live our lives every day for Christ. We look at the last part of that section of that verse, and it says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So not only do we have citizenship, we also have responsibility. As Christians today, we have responsibility. Too many times, um, and I do think it's a breakdown of discipleship in the church, but too many times people come to, to Christ, they get saved, um, and there's never any responsibility after that. I want you to understand that there are commandments throughout God's word, throughout the New Testament, that we as believers are to be following corporately and individually. You look, let's flip over to Ephesians 4.1 real quick. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So even in this letter, in the letter of Ephesians, we see Paul saying, look, walk worthy to your calling. If we look back at Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 actually says uh, to be a living sacrifice. 
And that's your reasonable service. Being a living sacrifice isn't going above and beyond. It's what you're called to do. When Christ calls you into salvation, you've been called to walk with him as he guides and leads. You're to do as he says to do. You're to be obedient. There is no, uh, you know, I feel like doing this one day and I feel like doing this another day. No, every single day we are called to be obedient to God. We see different commandments throughout the New Testament that God has called us to be obedient to, such as the Great Commission. And I think sometimes we are not very obedient to that command. I know I struggle with it at times. But God has called us to live a life for Him. Many times we don't. But as believers, we do have responsibility. We are called to walk in God's light, and we are called to be obedient to His commands. I want you to understand this morning that God does have responsibility for pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers, but it's important that we understand that every single believer that God has saved has responsibility. We all have a responsibility to be a witness. And God has given each and every believer a gift. And it's seeking and searching Him that He'll show you that gift. Moving on into verse 27, it says, So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we look at that. We've got a third point here, and that is uh, unity. We see unity. Paul wants unity in the church. If we flip back and we looked at Ephesians, we would see there was a huge chapter, Ephesians 4, on unity in the church. Paul wants the same thing for every church as far as unity goes. But we see this in the latter part of verse 27. It says, standing firm. And what do, what do we as believers stand firm in? I think we've already addressed that. Our identity in Christ. We stand firm in Christ. We can't stand firm in anything else. But we can stand firm in Jesus Christ. So we stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we see that Christ is what unifies us. We may all be a lot different in here. There's different ages. There's different likes. Uh, if we really got people together and compared all the differences, there would be a pile. There's one thing that we do have in common. There was one thing that Paul had in common with the Philippian church. There's one thing that the Philippian church had in common with each other, and that's that we are believers in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. He has saved us. One other thing that we can look at is that we also can identify in the Christian walk. Now, we may have different paths. We may have different things that God has called us to, but we all walk through this life. We all have struggles. We all have heartaches. We all have sorrows. Now, God can handle each and every one of those things. But is it not easier sometimes for if you're going through something for another believer to come along beside you and say, hey, man, I've been there? Or, hey... I struggle with that too. I think that's something else that can unify us. We need each other. That's the thing that, I don't know if we've realized this through the COVID-19 pandemic or not, but we as the church need each other. And I know we take uh, measures to be safe. I know that we got to be safe, but we as the body do need each other and we need to gather together. Moving on into verse 28. It says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. So Paul's saying, look, don't be alarmed. Have courage. And what's neat is he uses himself as an example. He says, look, and 
you can go all the way through chapter 1 and you can see Paul laying it out and saying, look, this is where I'm at. He's being real. He's being personal. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. But this is what I'm doing in my circumstance. I am being courageous and I am sharing Christ. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't sit in prison and go, man, this stinks. I'm in prison. But it does, we do see that Paul took that circumstance and he used it for the glory of God. That, that was encouraging for the Philippian believers, but it can be encouraging for us today too. Because we're going to all walk into circumstances that are not our favorite place to be. We're going to, and, and for the sake of Christ, and we're going to see that in, in the next verse or two, but we're all going to lose jobs at times for faith. Uh, and that's a good, good area to bring this up. Uh, one of the reasons that I felt like God put this passage on my heart was because we live in a time, I know we've lived in America for a long time, we live in a time where uh, we have religious freedom. That is something I think we have taken for granted. Uh, because there may come a time, and, and you go, well, you know, I think you're getting a little extreme there, but there may come a time when we don't have these freedoms. There may come a time when we have to meet in secret. And I know people are thinking, nah, no, that's, that's, but it, I think we're seeing things change every day in our nation. We're seeing things that we never thought we would see before. If we, and if we look back throughout history, if we look back into the Bible, we see churches uh, having a meet in secret. We see churches being martyred. We see leaders being martyred for their faith. And I know that we haven't necessarily faced those things in America. But I think it's important that we make the decision now to stand firm in Christ than to wait till we get there and say, well, now I, I think I'll stand firm in Christ because I can go ahead and tell you that it's not going to happen when you get there. You've got to choose now. Um, we see a lot of, lot of controversial things going on in our nation. Um, and there will come a time, um, if we read the rest of God's word, there will come a time when we ha we'll have to stand, uh, we'll have to choose what we're going to stand for. But you've got to do that now. You've got to go ahead and make a decision. So we see that you can have courage in Christ. Why, that's the answer. Why was Paul able to do what he was doing? Because he was in Christ. If it would have been Paul all by himself, I promise you that he would not have done what he did. But he was able to do what he did from a prison cell because of being in Christ. He looked to Christ as the perfect example, but he also knew that he, he had the Holy Spirit within him, which empowered him to be able to do what he did. This, is, this was encouraging to the Philippian believers, but this is encouraging for us today, too. Who better to encourage than Paul himself, who just gave a great example of persevering even when times are tough. So today as the church, not only do we need to be ready to persevere through certain things in our lives, but think of the effect it could have on other believers. We see that in Paul's life. Paul said, look, other believers are proclaiming the gospel because they've been emboldened by what I'm doing inside the prison. What if God, wants, what if God puts you in a circumstance that you're not crazy about or maybe puts you in an uncomfortable spot that you don't want to be in? You could look at that and you could sulk, as I have many times. Or you could take that circumstance that you, and you can look and you can go, I'm going to serve Christ through this. I'm going to proclaim Christ through this. I'm going to give glory to God through this, no matter my circumstance. And you'll see other Christians be emboldened around you. There have been many times that I've talked to people. I've seen people going through tough times. 
And I've looked and I've said, man, how are you even, how are you getting through that? And many times I've heard them say, only for Christ. If it wasn't for Christ, I could not get through this. And this is where Paul's at. And this is what Paul's trying to convey, that you can, you can persevere through these things. You can persevere through persecution because of who Christ is and what Christ does in your life, what he already has done through salvation. If we look at uh, the last part of that verse, it says, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. So we as the church can persevere in persecution because we know we're in God's hands. We have faith in Christ. Christ has saved us. It's, it's not a, a, a losing situation. If we go into persecution, if we lose our job because of our faith, no matter what it is, uh, it's, not a, it's not a losing situation because we have Christ. We have salvation in Him. And if there's anybody this morning um, that does not know Christ, you need to know that uh, before the beginning of time, God had a plan. God had this, this great plan to redeem mankind. Uh, we see it all the way back in Genesis 3, God promising the seed to come. But we, we, we fast forward all the way to the Gospels, and we see that in the Gospels that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin birth. He came and he lived a life here on earth. Uh, he had an earthly ministry for about two years, two or three years. Um, and we see that he was crucified on a rugged cross just, just for us, just for you, just for mankind, so that mankind could have a way out, so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. He was in the grave for three days, and he rose again. And uh, he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. And every single person today, Christ wants to be in your life. He wants to save you. That's why he came. Uh, each and every believer, that's why we sit here today, because of what Christ has done in our life. If it wasn't for him, we would all be on our way to hell. We would not have a relationship with him, our creator. So we see that salvation is something we have. We can serve God through any circumstance because of our faith in him. First of all, he can get us through it. He can give us, that's where we get Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We can get through those circumstances. But not only that, we also know that if, just like Paul said over in 21, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If the worst happens and we lose our lives, we still have the greatest thing in the world and that salvation in Christ and we will see him on the other side. It is comforting this morning to know that we have what we have as believers. But it's also, there's also responsibility to take it to those that don't. Verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And we're almost done. Uh, I know I've been long-winded this morning, but we're almost done. Another point we see here is grace assured. If we look at verse 29, it says, uh, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, not only salvation, but also to suffer for his sake. And, you, and you, you'll probably say, well, this is kind of a gloom and doom sermon. I don't want to suffer. Well, I don't think anybody just wants to run into suffering. But I think at times we're going to know what's coming, but I think at times it's going to hit us without us know, without it, without us know what's coming. That being said, when we go through suffering, we can be assured that God's grace and favor is upon us. God would not allow 
suffering to come upon you as a believer if he didn't deem you worthy for it. We are not worthy of his salvation that he bestows upon us. But when God allows us to go through suffering, it is a time that we as believers can take strength in him and show his glory. Because on our own, we cannot do, we cannot last, and we cannot uh, be what we need to be. But with him, we can persevere through suffering. And like we've already talked about, what if our suffering brings someone else to faith? What if somebody's able to look at your life and able to go, why is this person being who they are through this? And, it's, and you have all opportunity to look and go, all glory to God, all glory to Christ. I can only walk, I can only talk, I can only do these things because of what Christ has done in me. And he continues to do. So when it comes to suffering, i got a quote here by Roy B. Zuck. He says, Suffering for Christ was not to be considered accidental or divine punishment. Paul referred to a kind of suffering that was really a sign of God's favor. So if we look back at the Old Testament times, if a woman was barren or if a, or we look at Job too, he, he's faced some really bad circumstances. So when we look at that, what did Job's friends do? They looked at him and said, you've done something wrong. You have messed up. You need to get right with God. But we see here that Paul's talking about it in a way that you're getting an opportunity, opportunity to suffer for Christ. So it's not just that Christ has saved you. He's also, through his grace, given you an opportunity to suffer for him. For a lot of people, that would just blow their mind. But as believers, we got to understand that not only has Christ saved us, but he has given us opportunities and circumstances to further his name. And that's what Paul was doing in the prison cell. We jump into verse 30. It says, Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Last point, be encouraged, have courage. Um, today as believers, because of all that we just read, and there are multiple examples and accounts all throughout scripture that uh, share the same message, we can be encouraged because of what we have, and that is Christ. We have salvation in Christ. Why was Paul able to, to be the example that he was from prison? Because he was in Christ. Why are we, like I said earlier, Paul was a mere man. Sometimes we, I was at a manual last week and, and Pastor Mike over there said, look, Paul was, a, Paul was a mere, and at the time I think he was talking about Nehemiah, but look, Paul was a mere man just like anybody, any other man in the Bible. But he was willing to be obedient. He was willing to, to seek Christ and to make him important above anything else in this world. That's what we're going to see in just a couple minutes. So we can be encouraged. And just as the Philippian believers were encouraged in their suffering or their soon-to-be suffering, we can be encouraged too. Paul used himself as an example. Uh, while he was in prison, he chose to be who God called him to be. So the question can be asked. Many times uh, messages are preached and you walk out going, well, that's nice, but how do I do that? How do I live a life like that? Um, I think in a way we've, it's been answered this morning, but we can be encouraged just to read God's word. Pursue God in his word. 
If you don't pursue God in his word, so many times we pray and we pray, which is good. We need to pray more. But many times we pray and we don't read God's word. We'll go, God, show me this. God, I need an answer to this. But we don't read God's word. We have to read God's word, reading these accounts of Paul and, and fellow believers that came before us and even looking back in history and seeing uh, people like the Anabaptists and what they did in their walk with Christ is encouraging. We can look at those things and we can, and we can know that the church is what it is today only because those people continued to persevere and to seek Christ in everything that they did. So the question can be asked, how do I live a life for Christ like this? Pursue him wholeheartedly. You have to pursue him in the scriptures. Pursue him in prayer. And I promise you that if you do those things, he'll meet you. He'll come, where, come to you where you're at. He'll show you and he'll speak to you through his Holy Spirit. And love him above everything else in this world has to offer. Too many times we as believers get caught up in the world. We grab a hold of things in the world and we can't let go. But if we'll just let go of those things and let God have them, and focus on Him, it doesn't mean that we're not going to still mess up at times. But if we'll focus on Him and pursue Him and make Him the decision maker in our life, that, that, that makes every decision that we make, if we go to Him and His Word, when we're, when we're questioning something, go to God's Word. He'll show you. Pursue Him wholeheartedly with everything that you are. So I'll leave, in conclusion, I'll leave you with this question. If we look back up at verse 27, are you conducting or living as a citizen in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? Because God has given us citizenship, but he's also given us responsibility. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning as we uh, have looked at the first chapter of Philippians, Lord, we just thank you for the, for the richness of it, Lord. Being able to see Paul's life, Lord, it's... Uh, it's mind-blowing to think that a man was in a prison cell and yet he still continued to proclaim you. But he did. But Lord, you've given us the same uh, power to do the same things. And too many times we walk around defeated. But Lord, we're already victorious in you. You've given us salvation. But Lord, help us to remember that you've also given us responsibility. Lord, uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mike preached and he said that Sometimes we as believers think that the Christian walk, the Christian life is easy. But Lord, it's not. Sometimes we're going to get sweaty. Sometimes uh, situations are going to happen that uh, we just don't know how to handle. Uh, we're going to be tired. Lord, those are, those are things that come with life. But Lord, just like Paul was in Christ, Lord, we as believers this morning are in Christ also. And we know that we can walk and persevere, Lord, and, and carry out the commandments that you've called us to carry out if we would only be in you, if we would stay in you and focus on you. Lord, um, I do believe that we are facing uncertain times. I know that your hand's in control. I know you're a sovereign God and that no matter uh, what happens, it's all going according to your plan. But Lord, we as the church have to decide now who we are. We know our identities in Christ, but Lord, we have to make sure that you're leading us. We have to make sure that we're, we're actually following. Lord, that's on an individual level and a corporate level. 
we have to, to be following you, Lord, to, to do what you've called us to do. Because it's not through our own power, but through you. So, Lord, I, I pray for all the uh, sickness. Lord, I pray for all the uh, things that may have happened last night or over the weekend. Lord, that you would just lay your hand on those people. Um, and, that, and if it's your will, that they would uh, see you and that you would heal them, Lord. Lord, as we go out, help us to be the believers you've called us to be. We put this in your name. Amen.